Before we start today's episode, I want to invite you to share your thoughts on Giving Ventures with me and my team. Would you take three minutes to do our short listener survey at donorstrust.org slash podcast survey? Our goal is to help you grow your giving, and your feedback is key to meeting that goal. Again, visit donorstrust.org slash podcast survey. I really appreciate your input. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learned with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. At the beginning of the year, I don't think I could have told you what the acronym ESG stood for. Now I, and possibly you as well, know it as an abbreviation for Environmental, Social, and Governance, the three pillars of a rising tide in thinking about how companies should be run. Those friendly to the idea of incorporating ESG principles into companies frame it as a way to encourage business to be a better player in society. To others, though, ESG mandates simply look like companies going woke from a social lens and leaving money on the table from a fiduciary point of view. This year, ESG mandates have been topics of conversation as activist investors and progressive fund managers make headlines for pushing major corporations to accept certain tenets, These can range from mandatory reporting of racial or other demographic makeup with their boards and leadership, to green energy quotas, and on to more obscure ideas that often align with a more progressive worldview. If you are in the camp of an ESG skeptic, or simply want to make sure that your companies aren't chasing shiny objects at the expense of shareholder value, you will be very interested in hearing from the nonprofit groups that we're going to meet today challenging these assumptions, which are second vote, Consumers Research, and the State Financial Officers Foundation. These are three of a good number of groups that are helping consumers and elected leaders in challenging the common narratives around ESG. So let's jump in. Our first guest today contends that we vote for our values in two ways. The first is at the ballot box, of course, during elections. But the second and more frequent vote is with the products and services that we buy every day. So how do we know if the things that we are buying actually align with the things we believe? That is what the group Second Vote tries to figure out on behalf of consumers. Since being founded by former Congresswoman Diane Black and her husband, Dr. David Black, in 2012, Second Vote has diligently researched many different companies to see who is supportive of or at least neutral on conservative values and who isn't. Bryant Haynes joins me to talk about this. Bryant is... President of Second Vote Analytics, uh, which is a piece of the broader Second Vote family, and uh, we'll get into a little bit about what that does. But let's start with Second Vote, the nonprofit. Uh, Bryant, why why is there a need for a group like this? Well, that's a great question. You know, corporations used to focus on the product or service that they provide, and that was their initiative. That was what drove them to be better at what they do. What we've seen over time is corporations are becoming more and more activist groups responding to what they perceive is the social demand. Instead of focusing on their product or service, they're shifting to focus on uh, on things that really have nothing to do with them, 
uh, through their philanthropy and their advocacy and their policies, they're doing things that are contrary to the interests of their investors and their employees and their consumers. So we're there to help consumers better understand which corporations align with their values and which corporations don't so they can make the best decision possible in their shopping. So talk to me about the process. How are you rating these companies? Well, it's a pretty complex process. But in the end, we, we score companies on a score of one to five, one being far left, uh, five being far right. And uh, neutral companies are scored a, a three, a natural three is what we refer to it as. We study these companies for their philanthropy, their advocacy, their policies, their corporate uh, statements and their executive alignment. And then we, we identify each of the actions that they take in these areas specific to the six issues that we score on. Those issues are the sanctity of life, the what we call basic freedoms, or the First Amendment and the family, uh, the Second Amendment, what we call civil safe society, which is support for law enforcement and the military, and then education and environment. We, as we identify each of the actions that companies take on these six issues, we place a score value on each action, depending on the, the extremity of that action, and then that calculates to a score on each issue, and then we produce, we calculate a weighted geometric mean to provide an overall score on each company. And then you share those rankings with uh, just on your website? I mean, how, how are they kind of, how do they get out there? Sure. We provide them on our website. We do have a couple of partners that we share them with uh, through uh, agreements that lets them share it with their, their visitors as well. But anybody can come to our website and look up the composite score on, on any company that we have scored, uh, about 2,500 companies right now. Uh, and then uh, you, you can subscribe to see more of the detail, whether you want to see the scores on the individual issues or get down into the research and what caused that score to be where it is. You know, some, some companies might score low on an issue that doesn't really bother you. If, if they're doing something far left on education, it might not bother you. But if they're supporting abortion, you probably want to pay attention to that, depending on where you stand on the spectrum. Oh, that's interesting that you can peel back that onion and really try to, to figure it out and, and not just align principles, big picture, uh, which frankly, we, we do too much today, but actually get down to what you really care about. That's interesting. So so do the companies notice? I mean, I, I was looking at some of the recent reports, Verizon got dinged, Popeye's got dinged. Uh, do they push back on these rankings? Or, or more importantly, I guess, do you see them making changes because of these rankings? Well, I know that they notice. When we finish scoring a company, we, we send them a notice. We tell them what, what we've done, how we've arrived at that score, and we invite them to correct us, uh, or if they don't like the score and our actions are right, to correct their own actions and let us know that they've made a change. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they say, well, we see that you scored us that way and we're not going to worry about it. Sometimes they we, we had a, one discussion with an organization who said, we had no idea that some regional manager was contributing to Planned Parenthood. We're going to change that immediately. And we asked them to put that in writing. They did, and we updated their score. Some companies say, "Well, we're 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 supporting the values that we believe in, and we we stand where we are." We we do believe in uh, corporations representing their own values well, but that makes it easier. We make it easier for companies for consumers to know where they need to align. And I guess on the flip side, are you seeing consumer behavior change? That's a tough one. Um, both on the corporate change and the consumer change, it's hard to measure. Uh, because not everybody reports back and says, I made this change because of that score. But I can tell you that consumers frequently message uh, corporate executives through our website uh, and tell them, hey, I want you to change this or I'm not shopping with you because you do that. 
and we see those messages. We we get a good understanding of what consumers are doing and seeing. And we frequently get messages from, from our visitors and subscribers and say, hey, because of what I learned from you, for example, I'm no longer shopping at General Motors or whoever it is. Uh, they're, they're, they are making changes based on the scores that we provide. As Second Vote has grown, which has grown significantly over the past decade, you've expanded the number of offerings, not all in the nonprofit space, some of them supporting the nonprofit side, but all of it working with that same mission of really understanding and ultimately hopefully driving change in in the behavior of some of these companies. Uh, so you run Second Vote Analytics, which right. is a LLC. It is not a nonprofit, but its work supports the nonprofit, if I understand it all correctly. And essentially, you are providing consultant services for different companies who may want to improve or better understand things, including in this uh, ESG environmental social governance space, which which is really what our focus is on this episode. So talk to me about what analytics is doing. Am I getting that right? And how are you working in that ESG world? So spot on. We, we help corporations better understand uh, where they are aligning, either uh, functionally or operationally or in perception of the consumers by, again, evaluating their vendors, their partners, their uh, beneficiaries, uh, and their investors uh, to see, uh, are they aligning with their corporate values? Not just what do they say this is their mission statement, but what do they actually believe in? What do they want to support? Once we provide that analysis, we oftentimes uh, make recommendations to say, if you want to shift to better support this value, here's some uh, entities that you might better align with or some that you might want to avoid. And then once we have that information, we provide that to the to a client and and they can make those changes at whatever pace or scale they choose to make. Uh, obviously, you don't want to make rapid changes as an organization uh, that might uh, rattle your consumers or your, your employees. But aligning, better aligning with your values is really important. And we're seeing that the perception of, uh, of how a company aligns is becoming more important, oftentimes even than the product or service they're providing. So when it comes to the, the ESG side, uh, we've seen, again, companies that aren't aligning with the interests of their investors or their employees or their consumers as they adopt these policies and programs related to ESG. And really, it's counterproductive, and it's uh, oftentimes in conflict with their fiduciary responsibility of the, as, a, as a leader in the company. So we help them evaluate what are they doing, and then uh, if they need, and, and oftentimes companies do have a need to have an ESG plan in place. It, the cost of capital is higher if you don't have an ESG plan or an ESG score. So we help companies align better with effective ESG elements. You know, altogether, ESG is not a bad idea. And the left is really good at marketing uh, and changing the meaning of terms now. So when they say, you know, you should support the environment, absolutely, no company should be harming the environment. Should you have a good relationship with your community and your, and your social engagements? Absolutely, you should. And should you take care, good care of your employees and, uh, and the, the people you're working with? It's absolutely critical to do that. On the other hand, uh, when you focus on things like uh, what, the, what the left calls human capital, but uh, identifying and promoting people based on how they identify rather than their performance, it becomes something that's contradictory to the, the good of the company and the good of the consumer. So we help companies better understand uh, how to align with the requirements for ESG without going left. I think that's a really nice articulation of it, that it's, you know, you're right. Like so many things, it's not 
that it's a bad concept in the abstract. It's when you get into the specifics where things get get tricky. So when we talk about ESG, we often are talking about the impact on investments, uh, investment on the stock market, etc. Second Vote has a whole division answering the call there, Second Vote Advisors, and it's Second Vote Funds. Uh, just real quick, tell us a little bit about those. So they're a sister company, and Second Vote uh, Funds already has two ETFs out there today, and those ETFs are focused on, uh, well, one of them is focused on corporations that score neutral or positive on life, and the other one is companies that score neutral or positive on basic freedoms. Uh, and that's that's a good thing. Uh, uh, investing in companies that are focused on good values uh, or are neutral on the the contradictory issues, uh, that's a good thing to invest in those things. So we're seeing that that companies are investors are doing better in uh, investing with second vote. And we're even working with uh, a few different red state leaders where the the pension fund managers are interested in moving their funds uh, to a place where they're better aligned with their values. And at Donors Trust, we offer a number of different investment vehicles, but we do offer two investment options from Second Vote so that uh, folks who want to grow money in their donor-advised fund can do that in that principled way. And, uh, and those have been very popular amongst our clients, and I'm sure will continue to be. Well, Bryant Haynes, really appreciate you talking to us about this whole panoply of groups involved in Second Vote. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. One of the oldest consumer watchdog groups is Consumers Research, which has been around since, amazingly, 1929. Its philosophy is that the more knowledgeable consumers are and the more freedom they have in the marketplace, the better the cost, the better the quality, availability, and variety of goods and services that will be available to all of us. Since 2020, my friend Will Hild has been the executive director coming in in the teeth of the uh, COVID crisis into a whole new world with woke politics and ESG. So, uh, Will, glad you're here to chat with us a little bit about what you guys are doing. Thanks for having me. So consumers research sounds a little like consumer reports, but uh, my understanding is I'm not going to come to you when I'm ready to buy a new fridge and figure out which one to buy, right? How do you describe what consumers research does? Certainly. Well, in fact, when we started in 1929, that is exactly what we existed to do. We were the first product testing organization in America. And we had a situation where there was a lot of uh, lack of knowledge in the, in the marketplace around the quality uh, or reliability of, of different goods or even their safety. But over time, uh, thankfully, the market has solved that for most people, not only other magazines like Consumers Reports, but also the fact that you know there are Google reviews and Amazon reviews. The biggest dangers to consumers today aren't coming from unreviewed products or products that people can't under, you know, find out whether they are quality or not. The biggest dangers, unfortunately, are coming from sometimes the internal workings of the companies themselves in the boardrooms um, and even higher than that, as we can talk about. So, so our main mission is to educate consumers around issues that are important to them and to amplify their voice in the marketplace. And so we spend you know, 100% of our time doing one of those two things. So how much of that work is similar to a group like Second Vote, which we just heard from uh, in that buy this and not that, or how much of it is looking at those macro trends? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we certainly support what organizations like Second Vote are doing by providing alternatives in the marketplace to consumers 
who don't want to have their money abused and misused and their fiduciary duty violated by the ESG scam movement. Um, however, that's not our role. We don't provide a product alternative. We try to educate people on the ways in which their interests are being undermined as consumers, as shareholders, as taxpayers. I mean, obviously we're a consumer focusing group, but the issue with ESG is so wide and the problem is, is so diverse that it actually undermines almost every person's uh, interests except for Larry Fink and BlackRock and the other asset managers who are pushing it. So you mentioned Larry Fink. So he runs, he's the CEO and chairman of BlackRock, one of the largest investment firms in the country, maybe the largest. I'm not quite sure exactly where it stacks up. It's big and has a lot of influence, particularly in the boardroom with all of these companies. Uh, he is in no way personally aligned with the things that we talk about on this podcast, the people that would listen to this podcast, but has a lot of influence. And a website, one of your websites that you had shares a quote from him. It says, quote, society is increasingly looking to companies, both public and private, to address pressing social and economic issues. And he said, he goes on, these issues range from protecting the environment to retirement to gender and racial equality, among others. So forget the issue set. That's a whole nother conversation. What about that front end idea? Do you think it's true that folks are really turning more and more to companies for leadership? Well, it depends on what issue you're talking about or the issue set. But I think company people increasingly look to companies to solve their their day to day pragmatic issues, and that's a noble cause. And we believe in companies doing that as a consumer group. You know, uh, solving hunger through greater food products, solving um, poverty through cheaper, more reliable, and higher quality goods and services, like the you know the fact that you can get a much more reliable automobile than you could 50 years ago. I think is is a is a great thing for people to look to companies to do. I'll second the quote you just just read off with another quote of Larry Fink that I think speaks to this. He said in a 2017 Deal Book interview sponsored by the New York Times, uh, when asked about uh, focusing on board diversity at corporations, that at BlackRock we believe that if people are going to change, they're going to have to be forced to change. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors to change. And I think that actually speaks to what Larry is really saying here. It's not so much that people are clamoring for Larry Fink and BlackRock to solve all the problems of the world. Uh, it's that Larry would like to be in charge. Uh, and he uses the immense amount of capital that is provided to him. And we can go into why that it's such a misuse of that capital. But he, he, provides, he uses that large set of capital that's provided him to basically dictate terms to the rest of the American economy. And he's not doing it with his money. He's not even doing it with people's money who have agreed to have their money used in this way. A lot of BlackRock's assets under management are local, state, and federal pension funds. For example, they manage about 80% of the federal thrift savings plan. That's the federal uh, workers and, and military uh, uh, pension fund. And there's a ton of other institutional players like state universities that are supposedly being run for the public's good. And he manages all that money and then he decides that he should be in charge of solving all these problems. So it's a very self-serving uh, idea that, that he you just quoted him saying. And it's not at all true in, in the sense in which he means it. People are not asking Larry Fink to solve the world's problems with their assets. They're asking him to focus on his fiduciary duty. Yeah. And does that really kind of get at what the real threat is? I mean, you, you could say... This ESG thing is maybe it's not what I want. Maybe it's not what that person wants, but the companies are free to do what they want. And as long as there's a big marketplace out there, people can go to other companies and they can vet it and, and do all that. But 
it sounds to me you're saying the real problem with all of this is places like BlackRock have such influence that we, as the consumer, get boxed into a corner. Is that fair? Absolutely. So Larry Fink has never faced an election. There's no way to vote him out of office. Um, BlackRock employs tons and tons of lobbyists throughout the country to ensure that they continue to receive the assets of the of state, local, and federal government in order to manage. And then he uses those assets to push his, his personal politics. I have no problem where consumers research believes in consumers' choice. If, if people want to choose to take their own money and put it into a ESG fund to push their, their own politics with their money, I think that's, that's fine. I may not agree with it, and I may even push back on the, the things that they're trying to push forward. But I, I believe in that choice. That's not what's happening here. In fact, even people who might have opted in to a BlackRock fund, if it's not an explicitly ESG fund, say it's the, the iShares brand is, is BlackRock and they have that, their S&P index fund equivalent, right? BlackRock has committed through their membership in organizations like Climate Action 100 and the Glasgow uh, Financial Alliance for Net Zero, which is called GFANS, um, they have committed to using all of the assets under management to push net zero targets at every corporation in America. So even if you think, oh, I've just bought a normal S&P 500 fund that's the most vanilla equity investment you can possibly purchase, unbeknownst to you, Larry Fink is using those assets to push his political agenda. So between the public pension funds and people that are being basically tricked into giving him more and more power, I think that's the real issue. He's violating his fiduciary duty. And to be clear, they are the largest and the worst at this, but they are not the only one. You've got firms like Vanguard and State Street that are part of the big three. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that even firms like Fidelity and Schwab sometimes uh, have engaged in this historically. So it's an issue that really needs to be dealt with root and stem. But absolutely, Larry Fink and BlackRock are the worst offenders. And he's he, he's so open about what he's trying to do. It's, it's really instructive. So Consumers Research is a nonprofit organization. You're out there speaking for the consumer. Talk to us about some of the day-to-day work you're doing to try to push back on the ESG piece and just to keep consumers informed about that issue, but the broader panoply of issues. Certainly. Well, the number one thing we've got going on right now is called the Consumers First Initiative. It's a multi-million dollar ad campaign that calls out uh, companies for going woke, cozy up to woke politicians in order to distract from their misdeeds in the market or their mistreatment of their customers. And in BlackRock's case, we've been going after them specifically since October. Um, and we have have probably spent four to five million dollars on a broad consumer education campaign so that people can understand the ways in which their interests as consumers are being undermined. And if they're a pensioner or a taxpayer as well, uh, they also have a lot to fear from BlackRock's activities because they're going to underperform. They're violating the fiduciary duty. They're going to underperform the market and cost taxpayers and pensioners a lot of money. So that's one of the main areas. We've also, because of this, been asked, in, of course, in a C3 compliant manner, to we educate a lot of state officials who are concerned about this. We've acted with uh, an organization called the State Financial Officers Foundation. It's a, a coalition of treasurers that are all concerned about this. Uh, we speak with a lot of attorney general's offices and a lot of governor's offices who want to learn more. This is something that's obviously a very complicated issue. It gets into the weeds as to how Wall Street works and how influence is thrown around in, in corporate boardrooms. So we spend a lot of our time educating folks and, and helping them understand what the problem is so they can go out there and, and hopefully defend the fiduciary interests of the citizens of their state, defend their state economies, and defend their state pension funds. So to kind of bring it to a close, what does a win look like? How, how do we... How does consumers research know that they you've removed the ball forward in the way you want to move the ball forward? 
Absolutely. What we'd love to see is is companies like BlackRock and others get back to focusing on their fiduciary duty, which is to maximize returns for shareholders. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of different investment strategies out there. Uh, we don't we're not trying to say there's one way to to do, to do that, but one way that absolutely should not be done is to in, in supplant their fiduciary duty with their personal politics, which is what's going on right now. Instead of pursuing uh, the returns for the people that they owe an allegiance to legally, they are off injecting their own personal politics. Well, folks can go to consumersresearch.org and see some of the important work you're putting up about BlackRock, American Express, Allstate, uh, a bunch of other companies that have treaded into some dangerous territory. Uh, Will Hild, really appreciate you sharing all this with us today. Thanks so much for having me on. Our first two guests were, by and large, focused on helping consumers challenge the ESG orthodoxy. There is another lever to pull, though, and that is with elected officials. Few politicians are positioned as well to fight back as the state treasurers and financial officers across the company. And wouldn't you know it, there is a whole organization working to connect those folks and support these officials, the State Financial Officers Foundation, or SFOF. Derek Kreifels is CEO of SFOF, and he is here to help me understand what they're doing. Uh, Derek, there can only be so many of these financial officers. I mean, there's only 50 states. Uh, So I'm guessing membership-wise, it isn't a very big group. Is that right? Well, that's right, Peter. And and actually, it's interesting. There's only about 38 to 40 uh, uh, states that actually elect a state financial officer. So a lot of them uh, are, you know, get funneled off into gubernatorial uh, agencies. So um, it is a small group of elected officials. Um, we represent uh, 27 state treasurers and state auditors from 23 states as of today. Um, and so we do have in a handful of states, both the auditor and the treasurer. Um, we work with free market leaders on, on, you know, advancing free market policies and principles across the country. And so you're nonpartisan, obviously, but do have a kind of ideological bend towards the free market and believing the the powers of that. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yes, we are unapologetically uh, for the free market, uh, come from conservative values, uh, stand up for the the rights of uh, federalism, uh, believe very strongly in freedom of speech, um, and, uh, and want to make sure that taxpayers in our states know how their tax dollars are being spent. So transparency, accountability are big issues for us too. And important issues, absolutely. Now, look, I'll admit, I rarely think about our state financial officers and treasurers. So can you give a quick moment to explain what they do? People have a sense of what the governor is, lieutenant governor is even, but what's in the purview of the state financial officers and treasurers? Yeah, well, you're, you're, um, you're among friends. Uh, many people don't understand and don't know or think about the treasurer's auditors. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they have an interesting role. We have a motto in our organization. If you've seen one state treasurer's office, you've seen one state treasurer's office um, because they really do differ from state to state. But uh, by and large, their primary role is the management of the state checkbook. Yeah, that's an easy way to think about it. You know, they manage the inflows and the outflows. Um, a lot of times they are the, the signatory on, the, on, on state checks and warrants. Um, making sure that the the checkbook balances with the state accounting system, um, you know, and, and and where it goes from there. A lot of them manage their 529 college savings plans that a lot of folks are familiar with. Um, a lot of them manage able savings programs for families with disabled children. Um, a lot of them uh, manage their unclaimed property divisions, where 
banks and other uh, private vendors uh, might have a, uh, let's say, an apartment complex rent deposit or a um, uh, some kind of insurance payment that uh, of a deceased family member that was uh, never paid out because they couldn't find an heir to the family member. Um, our treasurers all have offices and divisions that a lot of them have divisions that help find those those rightful owners of those properties. And so, you know, as we've, uh, you know, we co-founded this organization 10 years ago, um, and we've really encouraged our state treasurers, state auditors to really start standing up and being leaders, um, you know, on financial issues. So now they're looking at when, you know, the legislature's doing, you know, something kind of harebrained on tax policy or budget policy, or the governor is doing something that they shouldn't be doing with state taxpayer dollars. Um, a lot of our treasurers and auditors are the ones that are the first there to raise the red flag and make uh, bring attention to it. And that is what we're seeing with this ESG issue. And I know the SFOF has really taken it on big. It's a big topic of conversation among your members uh, and, and your broader communication. But what can they, what can they do? What can the, these treasurers, these auditors really do to affect change? I mean, is there a good example of a way these financial officers have successfully pushed back on this ESG tidal wave? Yeah, so I want to start by saying that, um, you know, when we first started, we did a poll nationally in blue states, red states, purple states, and asked, who do you trust more in financial issues in your state? And we gave the people the option of their governor, their treasurer, or their member of Congress. And, uh, and by far, uh, the treasurer was, was the most trusted person. By, uh, I think the lowest that a state treasurer got was 60%, just by the nature of the title. Um, and, you know, governor was 20 to 25%. Uh, based on his or her popularity. And then, of course, the member of Congress, regardless of party, was in the tank, less than 10% usually. Um, and so, you know, they a lot of times these treasurers and auditors, they, they will have roles like being a member of the state pension system board, um, acting as fiduciaries, acting as one of, you know, nine members or 15 members of a pension board that are making investment decisions. And so if the treasurer speaks up, Usually, uh, the rest of the board really listens because it's kind of their—it's their wheelhouse, right? It's where they kind of live in that space. Um, we are, uh, you know, so so going from that, we've been really active this year in just pushing back against ESG and what we call general economic freedom issues. So, um, you know, we hear about banks or certain donor advised funds that won't allow giving to happen to uh, organizations, be either religiously or politically, that don't align with the values, um, uh, but especially banks uh, that are deplatforming um, customers and, uh, and organizations who may or may not align. Um, on the ESG front, you know, we have watched the top three fund managers um, really throw their weight around on, uh, you know, using pension dollars, using tax dollars, to try to push these different shareholder proposals through, um, you know, that are everything from, you know, global climate change, anti-fossil fuel policy, to, um, you know, introducing uh, shareholder proposals to mandate reproductive rights at, at companies like TJ Maxx, Lowe's, and Walmart. And so these these treasures, just by the nature of, of who they are, of uh, the fact that they are on a lot of these boards, and a lot of thing, a lot of uh, something else that a lot of people don't realize is that many of the treasurers actually have sole authority in many states to make decisions on who they actually bank with as a state government. Uh, 
Um, so that gives them a tremendous amount of authority to say, look, if you are a company that's deciding to not do business with um, a huge group of population of our state or one of our signature industries like West Virginia did with, with uh, oil and coal, then, then you know, Treasure Moore in that example was simply saying, look, I'm a market consumer participant as well, and I'm going to choose not to do business with you. Um, and so, uh, so that's something that we've seen, and, and we certainly are behind, uh, you know, the idea of supporting that. Um, you know, each state has a different solution to ESG, and, and we believe that they should work with their legislatures to decide what's best for them. But um, we're seeing a variety of pushbacks like that. And your role as SFOF help obviously connect these folks, give them help them understand if the treasurer in West Virginia is able to do something, connect him or her to to others out there and say, this is what we did. Maybe this will work in your state. That that kind of the the day to day. That's right. Um, You know, we we do a lot of uh, education, you know, where we'll be talking about, um, you know, you know, given a, a guy like Treasure Moore, you know, what are what have been the issues that he's learned by going down that road? Um, you know, they have a very unique uh, statute there that applies only to the banks there. It doesn't apply to all the fund managers. And uh, but if you take a state like Texas, um, where they passed Senate Bill 13 a year ago, um, their bill, uh, it encompasses both banks, fund managers, um, and then Kentucky's goes a little further where they talk about any state contract over $100,000 or more. And so um, we, we get everybody together so that they can understand, um, you know, how to better improve, uh, you know, model policy and, and um, be able to better push back in their state. Well, the work seems to be getting some attention. I know the U.S. House Financial Services Committee the other day uh, was attacking J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo because uh, of some contributions they've made to your work. So what's going on there? Well, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable when a, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, you know, comes after corporations for nonprofit giving. Um, and, uh, and and so, you know, this particular House member, I don't even want to say his name because I think it's I think it's uh, a very corrupt. Right. When a House member leads the way he does um, on uh climate change and green energy. And, uh, you know, uh, there was a great story in the Washington Free Beacon about the same House member, um, his unwillingness to disclose some of his connections to uh, clean energy as an entrepreneur. Um, And so he definitely has this vested interest in seeing, um, you know, the Green New Deal or the, the Inflation Reduction Act that they passed. You know, he has a vested interest in making sure that that happens. He's got a lot to gain if uh, through tax credits and other incentives that the, the bill included. You know, we're, uh, we don't, we, as a policy, we don't discuss our donors. Um, we don't discuss our, our, our corporate sponsors. Um, we did have them up on our website at one time uh, and during a, a routine planned um, redesign, uh, those did all come off. But uh, at this point, we're just continuing to push truth and push back on ESG. We know we've gotten under their skin. Uh, you know, we tell people every day this is uh, the left's new branch of government, right? To uh, get anything passed that they can't get passed through the democratic process of their courts. Um, this is what they're doing. They're going to through boardroom activism and a lot of the woke corporations. And so um, we're going to keep hammering on this. 
uh, and we won't let up. And in, on not just the boardroom activism, but also the public shaming, as, as you're seeing, and you mentioned it's caught up with banks, it's caught up with some big commercial donor advised funds. It's an issue that's not going away, and I'm glad the State Financial Officers Foundation is there to keep pushing on it. Derek Kreifels, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much, Peter, for having me. appreciate it. I appreciate Bryant Haynes's point that it isn't that we don't think there are ways companies can and even should serve to make a better environment or a more harmonious society. And we know private companies can make decisions as they see fit. On the flip side, it is good to have organizations like Second Vote and Consumers Research helping you and me understand when companies that we look to for value are significantly out of line with our values. Will Hild explained to me that the ESG initiatives too often serve as a Trojan horse for getting politics into the boardroom rather than the company answering to its fiduciary duty. We can fight back, whether as consumers or in bigger ways, such as what Derek Kreifels described that is being done at the state treasurer's and auditor's level across the country. So many groups are engaged in this issue as well. Independent Women's Forum and its Independent Women's Network are doing important work to educate on the issue. Heritage Foundation is very active and so many others. Is this an issue that is important for you? Your charitable giving can help these groups move the ball forward. We at Donors Trust are always happy to discuss opportunities for your philanthropy to have an impact, be it on this or any other issue. Well, thank you for listening. Oh, and have you taken our podcast survey yet? It's going to be up till October 7th, and I would really value your feedback. You can find it at donorstrust.org slash podcast survey. And if you're still feeling charitable after completing that, consider giving the show a five-star review on your podcast player, or just downloading and listening to some other past episodes that you missed. We make the show for you and other generous givers, and we hope you find it valuable. Thank you for listening. Let's talk more soon. Thank you.